0: Maybe you've had this experience. I know we've had it a few times lately. It usually happens when we're coming home from vacation. The last few years, we've gone to some pretty great places. We went one year up to uh, the coast of Virginia, Chincoteague, and the next year went to Cape Cod. and also, you know, just great times. You're away from home. You're a different part of the country. You look around, and, and it's beautiful, and then vacation's over, and you have to come home. And so... Both of those places are a long way from Key Largo, so on those drives back, you know, when you're going, it's like, we're going to go 12 hours today. We're going to push, push, push on the way home. You're like, you can't make me drive for an hour. Just don't want to go home. And you think, oh, it's so beautiful up there. Do you remember uh, the the marshes in Chincoteague and and the beach and and the horses that are running? Wow, it was so great. It was so beautiful. Or, you know, Cape Cod and, and the... The, the beautiful coastline, and the lighthouses, and we saw seals of all things. And you know, you're just, oh, it's great. And then you, you're just kind of hating getting back to regular life and, and thinking about your home. And then you start across that 18-mile stretch, and you look around, and you go, wow, this ain't so bad. Yeah, I, see, I can say ain't because he said it first. Ain't so bad. You say, wow, the, the wildlife, the water, the sunset. Man, it is it is, I guess, easy to kind of take for granted the things that are the norm. I think about it too in another way. We just went to camp well last Sunday we were back from that the week before we were there and, and camp is always a great time with some of our teens because um, there's just this excitement in the room, you know, a thousand plus people together and the, the worship band for camp was Russia Fools, who you may know or you may not know. And, and man, they did a great job. And, and you look around and, and you see some of your group just with their hands in the air and just the moment understanding the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. And maybe you've done the same thing. Whether it wasn't camp, maybe it was a concert, one of your favorite worship artists. Or maybe it was a conference that you went to. And and in that moment, it was so incredible, and God was so tangible and real, and then you came back to to this church. You thought, man, no, it's not. I mean, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm turning this around. Just work with me here. And you think, ah, man, I mean, Russia Fools was so great, or, or Hillsong was so great, or Chris Tomlin was so great, or that speaker, Chad Poe, was so amazing, or, or maybe it was another one of your favorite preachers, and you come here and you just think, oh, it's just, just First Baptist Key Largo. And, you know, it's easy to, to kind of lose the, dare I say, the awe, oh, because here's the thing I want to start with and build over the next, well, let's say 30 minutes, but we all know that's a rough estimate the reason worship is awesome is the object of our worship. The reason that we get together in whatever setting, whether it be in that arena with thousands of people and the The band that's your favorite and the songs that are your favorite and everything is together. And in that moment, oh, worship is awesome. But the reason worship is awesome isn't because that group is up front or those people are around you. The reason worship is awesome is because we worship an awesome God. And it's easy to miss that. It's easy to lose sight of that reality. It's easy to sort of take it for granted in the normal course of events. Maybe it's just a small church in the Keys, or if this isn't your church home, you're visiting our part of the world from somewhere else, wherever your church is, and it's just a simple group of people that get together. Maybe it's a few people in your living room, and one of them brings out the guitar and starts playing, and, and you all sing together, or you all open God's Word together. And in that moment, what makes it awesome isn't the quality of the guitar playing, Or is it the quality of the the speaker that's up front? Or is it the quality of the singing? What makes worship awesome is the object of our worship. And I think it's easy in our world, in our time, to lose that. So I want to go way back to the book of Exodus and start there and, and look at some things that happened in the life of Israel where they understood that the object of their worship was awesome, awe-inspiring. And we find uh, we're going to start out in Exodus chapter 19, second book of all the Bible, Genesis, the book of beginnings, creation, and the like, and then leading us to Exodus. The title of the book of Exodus you're probably familiar with is because the children of Israel were in bondage to Egypt and God led them out. And in Exodus chapter 19, they've come out of bondage as slaves in Egypt, and they've come into the region of Sinai. And in that region and on that place, on that mountain, God is going to visit them. God is going to come there on top of the mountain and do something remarkable and begin something mind-blowing for them and for us. And beginning in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 19, 19. This is what scripture says. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. By the way, what the people had just said is whatever God said we will do is he says we're going to follow him no matter what. Why? Because he just led them out of Egypt. Good, Good reason. Verse 10, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or even touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. So here's Israel outside of Egypt. In this desert, they've seen God deliver through the plagues. They've seen God lead them across the Red Sea. And now they're at the foot of this mountain. And God says, I am going to show up on top of that mountain. And it's going to be unmistakable. Dense cloud, thunder and fog and all that sort of thing. But here's the thing you need to know. Don't come up the mountain. Don't even touch it. God is pretty serious about this. As you read this, what does he tell them? If anybody comes up the mountain or even touches it, what are you supposed to do? Don't grab them. Don't touch them. Stone them or shoot them. Does that sound harsh to you? It's a little harsh, right? We could say that. Ugh, that's pretty that's pretty serious stuff for God to say, this mountain where I'm going to come down is, is, is to be cordoned off. Nobody comes near it. Nobody touches it. And the punishment... Stoning are shot with arrows. We, we we hear that. And I agree, it sounds harsh, but but I think as we think about our world and our and, and maybe even my generation and a little bit the generation younger than me, maybe the reason we find it so harsh is because we fought about having boundaries about anything in our world. I mean, boundaries at all are sort of, you know, let's just not talk about boundaries and let's not do that. But for God, boundaries are huge. And in this moment, it was big for them to understand there was something holy about that mountain. Holy means separate or distinct or other. And God says this mountain is to be set apart, set aside. Nobody come up it. Nobody touch it. Make that boundary clear. Make that delineation sure and know that to break that boundary, serious implications. I think the other reason we look at that and wonder about it is because what's happening here we take for granted. See, God's going to come and visit the people of Israel. God's going to come majestically and in and an awe-inspiring way. And, and, you know, for us as believers, us on this side of the cross, dare I say, that becomes mundane. We can go into the presence of God. The Bible says we can approach with boldness the very throne of grace, the throne of heaven and earth. And so we, we see this and we don't necessarily understand how this works. We don't know for sure, we don't know if we like the boundaries and we're not sure if we like the, the distinction. But I think it's important to start there and look at this and understand that in the beginning of this process of God giving his law what will come in the next chapters, God wanted to show up for Israel in a remarkable way. Let's jump forward a few verses to, to a little later in the chapter. Verse, uh, let's see, verse 16, we get the, the picture of what happens. On the morning of the third day, so three days have gone by, they've prepared, they're, they're getting ready. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him, and some translations indicate they answered him with thunder. Could you imagine standing at the foot of that mountain when this happened? Who went to see fireworks last night? Oh, good. It works better if he did. I'm always amazed that depending on where you are, we were a good way away from the fireworks. We decided at the last minute that we were tired of being bumps on the log all day. We had sat and done very little of anything after, well, after the morning stuff. And, you know, we had just watched a movie and relaxed. And, and it was like, we're tired of sitting here. Well, Denise was tired of sitting here, which meant I was, too. Let's just be honest. I was tired of sitting here. And so she said, I want to go see the fireworks. And I said, it's past my bedtime. You know, the fireworks, they start them at 10. I'm old. That's late. But nonetheless, because I knew it was best for me, I got up, changed clothes, and we headed out in the car. Now, see, in my mind, I thought, I, <laughs> believe it or not, I, Key Largo is not a big place. But when things like that happens, everybody and their brother shows up. And I just have this picture, like, we're going to go up there, and there's going to be cars everywhere, and there's going to be people around, and yeah, I don't know. You, know, you can say I'm just a real social butterfly. But nonetheless, I get in the car and drive, and, and I'm, I'm biting my, I don't want to be the, the wet blanket. That's a safe thing to say, right? I don't want to be, you know, ah, this is going to be horrible. And Denise, God bless her, she gets up there, and there's cars. It's like she knew what I was thinking. She said, like, you know, it's really okay, honey, if you want to turn around and go home. i like, yes. But I didn't do that. I just inside. And I said, are you sure? Because that's what I'm supposed to say. I mean, I can find a place. No, it's okay. So we turn around, and, and we get past over this side of the cut. And, you know, there's the shopping center. We're pulling the shopping center. It, somehow we ended up on a back road and parked on the back road. It was right by the, the fence, and there's that little, is it a condo or something? You can see over the fence, and you could see the fireworks. It's like, okay, win-win. Plus, I'm not in the middle of the crowd, and when it's over, I'm like, no, I can't go there. We'll oh, just be home. It'll be great. Anyway, so they go off. Here's here's the point, fireworks. I knew there was a point. I was going to get to it. Um, We're a long way away from the fireworks, but you still feel them when they, you know, especially those kind of ones that just boom. I mean, it's amazing to, to you hear, and then with the buildings, we could hear like the crackle, you know, it just kept crackling, echoing off all the buildings where we were. It was fun. I know it's hard to believe. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Okay, good. I can sleep inside tonight. It's good. It's good we had a good time. It was lovely. And just the the idea of the power in those explosive and concussive devices that you feel. And then we were a good ways away. And then I I read what we just read in Exodus chapter 19, and, and they're not that far away. And if I thought one of those explosive shells that leads to fireworks was powerful, what would the very voice? Of God thundering on the mountain sound and feel like? What would it be like to stand at the base of that mountain and to watch your leader who had defied Pharaoh to his face and led you out and had held up his his staff and his rod and the sea parted and led you across on dry land and now goes up into this cloud with all of the the noise and the commotion and the mystery up there and talk somehow with God, and God answers him with thunder, and you, you don't just hear it, but you feel it. You feel this conversation. I don't know if in that moment I would be tempted to want to cross that line. I don't think I'm the kind of person who would say, I want to know what that's like, especially after the warnings we read earlier. I would be awestruck by the power and majesty of this God, who might care enough for me to have delivered me and my family from slavery and had met me here on the mountain and given me this man, Moses, as a leader. It must have been an incredible and life-defining moment. Because they saw in that minute what I said a few minutes ago, the, the awesomeness of worship consisted of the object in that moment. There was nothing to cloud it. There was nothing to get in the way of seeing that God had come down among them on that mountain in a very tangible and unmistakable way. Nothing clouded their view. It wasn't about lighting or music or or stage or drama. It was about God is here. And in sensing God is here, we are awestruck by the God who would meet with us. And the response in that moment could really only be what we would call worship. Could only be what we would think of as, here is a moment that God cares enough to want to interact with a human being. In fact, it became normal for them a few chapters later, Exodus chapter 33, if you want to flip over a few ver- a few pages, they'll be up on the screen too, I believe. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Now, after all the the amazing picture of Mount Sinai as they move on into kind of the normal part of, of life in chapter 33, verse 7. Now M- Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, listen to this, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So after Mount Sinai, as they're led by this pillar of cloud or pillar of fire, they would set up camp, and Moses, as we just read, would set up this particular tent outside the camp, known as the tent of meeting. And Moses was... Can, can you picture the scene here? I should have pitched a tent on stage. That would have been fascinating, wouldn't it? Okay, maybe not. Because we could just write, like okay, okay, everybody, Carlos is going to go into the tent of meeting. Because he's the chairman of Deacon, so we'll send him in. Yeah, but could you imagine if that's what I said? Okay, okay listen, everybody, Carlos is going into the tent of meeting. I want you to all stand. Go ahead. This is just to make sure you're still awake. All of you stay in. And when Carlos goes in, what does it say that people did? They worship. I don't know what that looked like. Doesn't give us particulars. Doesn't talk about instruments. Doesn't talk about music. There might have been some. I know there are people that are musical. You can sit down now because you look like it's enough. I know there are people that are musical. And I'm imagining in Israel that was the case. There are some people that if you're talking about worship, there better be music. Right? There's some of you in this room that when I say worship, you think music because you're just musically inclined. I'm not as musical as some, so when I think worship, I think of it a little differently. So I'm going to guess when Moses goes in the tent and that pillar of cloud comes and all the people are outside their tent and they're worshiping, I, I picture a bit of a din rising among Israel. I picture them. Getting excited to think there is a man meeting with God in that tent, face-to-face, talking as a friend. Talks to a friend. We could celebrate that. We could thank God that he meets with Moses. We could thank him that, that our leader has that kind of interaction with the God who delivered us and promised so much to us. We have to do something to show our love and appreciation for this. And, and, and you could sense that when this happened, this wasn't like, oh, there goes Moses in the tent again. I guess I got to go stand outside. You know, they put out flyers on all the tents at the local publics, you know. Moses is going to the tent Thursday at 9 a.m. Be there. Oh, great. Did you get this in your mailbox? Yeah, I did. They're doing something else in the tent again. I guess we'll go stand up there. Whoop-doo! Oh, there's the cloud. Yay, God. Is it over yet? Is he still talking? You've never had any of those thoughts, I know, right? But you get the sense that for them, that wouldn't have been anywhere in their experience or in their mentality. It was remarkable that the God that they worshipped, the God that they knew, the God that had revealed himself to them, would meet somehow with a person in this tent. And that was to be celebrated. And now, you came in and you saw maybe the elements. And if maybe this is your first time you weren't familiar with what this is. You thought it was just decoration. But if you've been here a while, you know this is what we call the Lord's Supper. And under the smaller ones are the, the broken matzah crackers and under the larger are the little cups of juice that we'll distribute a little bit later and take the Lord's Supper together. And and you know we do this once a month if you've been around, usually the first Sunday of the month because that's kind of our schedule. Churches do it differently in different ways and different schedules. Some churches do it every time they meet. And and you see this and, and it's familiar, yes? It's something that is normative, if you're used to church world at all, whether it's exactly like this or a little different, maybe, but this is kind of normal. And you you might think, oh, Lord's Supper again. Maybe for some of you, that's a really cool thing. That's like, that's my favorite Sunday of the month when I go to church and they do Lord's Supper. For some of us, it might be, oh yeah, that's right. Stale crackers and juice again. Why doesn't the Baptist church ever use the good stuff? Maybe that's what you thought. I don't know. 'Cause it's just Welches, it's not like Manashevitz or anything. Just just juice. Maybe you have those thoughts. Because it's familiar, it's normal, it's part of what we do. But you know what this represents is what we just read in Exodus nineteen and Exodus thirty three. That God would meet personally with a human being and talk to him revealing himself to him, revealing himself to you. And the means by which he's chosen to do it ultimately is through Jesus. When the word became flesh, when the second person of the Trinity became the incarnate son of God and walked this earth and ultimately went to the cross and died, his body broken, his blood shed, so that you could have forgiveness of your sins so that you could be restored to the relationship God desired and designed you for, so that you could know him, call him father, that he could be with you in a place we call heaven forever, that he could give you his Holy Spirit to indwell you so that you could live out the life that he desires on earth here and now. These very simple and very familiar elements embody all of that truth. It's easy to become so familiar that we lose the awe of what happened on the cross and what God made possible by the gift of his son, Jesus. Boy, did he make a lot possible. We don't have to stand at the entrance of our tent while one guy goes out way off and enters the tent and the cloud comes down. We don't have to bring our sacrifices to the the capital city of Jerusalem and lay them on an altar so that one guy, one day a year, can go inside the very holy of holies where the Shekinah glory of God sits on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant and hopefully had done the right cleansing ritual so he doesn't die in the presence of a holy God. Now we don't have to wait for that. We don't have to watch as they lay hands on the scapegoat and take it out into the wilderness and sacrifice the other. And we don't have to, to look at that and say, you know what, Next this time next year we'll do it all over again. No, we have the privilege as God's children, as God's redeemed, as those who know Christ, to have all of that taken care of once for all so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence or with boldness, as we said a few minutes ago, because there is in that such incredible privilege to do that. It's amazing that we live in a world that pulls us so far away that it's hard to find a moment, to use the the biblical word, where we're wholeheartedly in worship before God. I'm not the techno-savviest person, but I have a teenager in my house who is. Have you noticed kids in their cell phones? No, you haven't noticed? It's remarkable. They are good at those things. They are really, really good at them. They can do all sorts of stuff. I can text and make phone calls and do a few other. I can play a few games, do my crossword puzzles, not talk to Heather. You were just learning Candy Crush this morning, yes? I've never tried that, happy to say. But we have, and we live in this world where where we have immediate access to lots of people through that device. We can do a Facebook update, or we can tweet, or we can Snapchat, or we can put a picture on Instagram. And and, and I don't know how tempting it is, even though I'm not techno-savvy as much, and I'm not tied to it, I still... If I have a down moment, you know what my first thought is? Let me check something on my phone, or let me check something on the computer. Let me check my email. Let me check Facebook and see. Oh, I wonder if anybody liked that that post I put up for the church. I wonder how many because I can look at the analytics and see. Oh, wow, that post generated almost a thousand uh, engagement. That's awesome. What does that matter? I mean, I'm not saying you should swear off Facebook, so don't hear that. But but just that's. Does your mind do that? Sometimes it kind of goes to those places. You're, you're sort of always distracted. I think that's the danger of our world today. We're pulled in so many directions that it's hard to focus for even a few minutes on some stuff of God. In fact, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says this. I like this verse. 1 Peter 4, 7 tells us, The end of all things is near. That's fun to start out with, but nonetheless, don't don't miss that. The end of all things is at hand in that translation. The end of all things is, is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. This is the ESV. I usually read the NIV, so that's why it's a little different. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. We... You might have heard that. Some people are saying, as I look at the world, I look at stuff going on, I look at Scripture and what it says might be signs of the ends of the age. It could very well be any day God could return in the person of Jesus. The second coming could happen. I don't know. I don't have a calendar. Wouldn't surprise me, though. But what does he say? Because of it, and this was 2,000 years ago. Therefore, be self-controlled. Boy, that's a great word in our world. I am amazed how much, as I just described, I let stuff pull me if I'm not careful, if I'm not purposeful, if I'm not aware how easy it is to be pulled this way or pulled that way or pulled the other way, to be self-controlled and sober-minded, clear-minded, sober versus drunk, right? Drunk, impaired, in your mind, you're fuzzy thinking, we might say. Just kind of all muddled up and hard to put things together and communicate. And, and and Peter says, because the end of all things is at hand, be self-controlled and sober-minded for what reason? For the sake of your prayers. You know, we often pray as a means to an end. I have a need, therefore I need to go to God in prayer to get that need met. Is that our right? Absolutely. That is our privilege. That's part of what this supper and Jesus' death reminds us of. But also, prayer isn't always a means to an end. Sometimes prayer itself is the goal, is the end, is the the purpose and the focus. Why? Because we live in a world that pulls us left and right away from the things of God and, and clutters our mind and cloudies our thinking. So for the sake of our prayers, for the sake of Moses saying, I'm going to go in the tent, and the the cloud's going to come down, and everybody's going to stand at the meeting, or the people standing around the base of the mountain and feeling the voice of God speaking to Moses. I need to be self-controlled and sober-minded so I can get that. I can grasp what this God is up to. I can understand that the object of my worship makes worship an awesome privilege. And so for the sake of just that, for the sake of the the reality that in prayer I can enter into the very presence of God and be ministered to and hear from Him and also cast my cares upon Him because He cares. But it's all that for the sake of my prayers. I need to be sober-minded and self-control. here's the thing. We live in a world that focuses on the temporal. Like, if you can see it or taste it or touch it, that's what's really real. In fact, I have a video. This is fun. It's a virtual reality video. I'll just show it, and then I'll talk about it, okay? David, are you ready? All right. There's a play. It's actually, you know, like a, a one-by-four or whatever on, on the floor. It's raised, like, just that much. There's a sideways shot in some other ones, and they're supposed to walk across it, but they have the virtual reality headset on, and it looks like they're perched way up in the air, and and it is apparently pretty immersive. There are other experiences, the same technology, where they have people riding a roller coaster with the headsets on. Um, I couldn't show those because there's language in them, <laughs> so turn the volume off if, when you look it up later, because I know some of you will. Uh, anyway, and they like just standing in front of this with the with the headset and the earphones on, start falling as the roller coaster takes the dips. I mean, they, they have to. There's people behind them that catch them. It's such an immersive experience. In fact, in this experiment and ones like it, they ask people at the end. To step off the board. Just just step to the left or the right. You know it's not real. You know it's just a picture in your head. Two-thirds won't step off the board without taking off the, the, the headset first. And some of the ones that do, when they step off, actually try to fall and catch themselves. They're that convinced. They're that high up in the air. It's remarkable. And believe it or not, there's a verse I want to share with you. This should be good in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. This is what Paul says. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal or temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. See, that that video is us most of the time. Because we live in a a world that's concrete and steel and, and plant life and houses and cars and roads and jobs and buildings and all that sort of thing. And we can touch it. And we are so used to that world that it becomes the most important thing we got to see it it's got to be proven but but paul says and the bible i think teaches that there is a real or real that you can't see what is really real isn't tangible what lasts forever isn't something you can touch or taste or hold and we have this temptation in our lives to hold on to to Somehow form allegiances to the temporal and the temporary. And Paul says, No, no, no. Take your eyes off that because it's not what's real. It's not going to last. Place your eyes on what is not seen, for that is eternal. Now, that's not easy. That's, dare I say, countercultural. But it's what is the picture the Bible paints for us. It's what the children of Israel had the privilege of actually seeing with their eyes and feeling on the base of Mount Sinai that there's something to our great God. And we respond to him because we we know it. But as time goes on, as things have changed, and because of what this represents, we don't have those moments because God now isn't. Required to to keep us sort of at arm's length. Rather, through Jesus, we have been brought near and indwelled by the Spirit. And the familiarity with Him. The familiarity and the the oftenness with which we can do things like this. Get together and worship. Get together and say, we're here as the people of God. In fact, we are, we say, the church. It's not the building, but, but the people. We are... Here, I think, would say living stones being built together into a tabernacle. That's us. That's not this structure or even one much more ornate. It's not one bigger or smaller or more expensive. It's us together being built into that which God inhabits and dwells and uses for his glory. But you can't always see that. I think that's why these elements are helpful because we do see these. We do touch them and taste them. Maybe God in his wisdom left us this tangible reminder of the greater reality that we can't see. That because of his broken body symbolized by these broken crackers and because of his shed blood symbolized by the small cup of juice, this eternal God who descended on the mountain and who uh, came upon the tent and who indwells us We can have access to all the time. What a great privilege. You know what we don't need? We don't need the the big name star, preacher, or band. All the lights and smoke and all the things that we've often associated with those moments where God seems so tangible we need just kind of each other we've done this a few times we're going to do it again and if you're a guest here this will probably be weird sorry hopefully not too weird I'm going to ask our, our deacons to come up, and, and they're going to distribute the elements of the supper. What I'm going to ask you to do is get together with a few other people. Now, again, I know we have guests, so make sure we include our guests. Uh, look around you. Don't leave anybody out. Let's make sure we have people. And and why? Because you are living stones being built together, right? So 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 let's do a little building together. You don't need me to say this is how you take the Lord's Supper. I'm I'm not Moses. I'm not the only one that goes into the tent. You don't need Carlos or any of the other deacons to somehow officiate you having a moment with God. You just need you and him and maybe a brother or sister or two in Christ to have a moment of worship. Why? Because the thing that makes our worship awesome is the object, is the God we worship. So gentlemen, if you'll come on and if you'll pass out these elements and when you get, go ahead and take, we're just going to take both of them, the cup and the the cracker and find those few people. And if you want to pray, pray. If you want to talk, talk. If you want to share, share. If you want to stand there in silence, stand there in silence. And when you're ready, take these elements together. You know, it's easy for the privilege we have of coming into God's presence to become common. It's, it's really easy. What's the old saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. It's just, just normal. It's just what we do. We just pray or we, we go into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. And it's, it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. I want you to before we, we sing our song of response, I want you just to just close your eyes. Our musicians, if you guys want to come on up and get ready. And picture picture what we read in Exodus. Just picture yourself among the people of Israel. Picture yourself camped at the base of Mount Sinai. And it's the third morning. It's time to get up because this is the day that God is going to appear. And picture, if you will, Moses headed up that trail and the, the smoke and the fire that descends. And Moses is talking to God and God answers him back in thunder. You can hear it. You can feel it. And you know it's true. And then Moses comes down. We're 2,000 years plus, way, way more than that later. And so when Moses comes down, he can look you in the eye and he can say, now you go up that mountain. You go up there. The God that he just spoke to is the one that wants to speak to you, wants to spend time with you has sent his son to die for you. Now you go up that mountain. It shouldn't be about we pastors using that wonderful guilt lever we have and saying, can't you just give five minutes to God? You know, if you just read your Bible ten minutes a day, you could read it through in a year. No, it should be like, I can go up that mountain. See, the enemy, he doesn't want you to go up that mountain. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The enemy wants to keep us apart. Jesus came and paid the price we just symbolized by the cracker and the cup to give you the privilege of access to the God of all the